to Review Lovers and welcome to another episode of the Fashion Photography Podcast with me, Virginia. And today it's time for part two of our amazing interview with the even more amazing Jason Bell. I promised you the last time that we'll be talking about icebergs today and building confidence. And though those two are very different, <laughs> Jason is the one thing that will bring some common sense. But the other topics that we are talking about are also portfolios and how to make the best of yours, which is very important for each and every photographer, makeup artist, and simply everyone in the industry. And in case these topics are not enough for you, we'll be also talking about pitching and many other things. So stay with the show. And if you love it, please don't forget to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts after you listen to the episode. Or maybe even right now, if you've been fan for a while, <laughs> let's go straight to the show. Probably there were some bad moments or rough moments. So I would like to ask you about one of those moments when you really learned a lot and what was the takeaway for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Two things come to mind. One is a more, more sort of general thing, which is that The job is hard. I'm not going to pretend, you know, people think, oh, it's terribly glamorous. And, you know, there are glamorous elements to it. I fly around the world and I meet famous people and I love photography. So I'm being paid to do something I love doing. So I'm certainly not complaining about it, but I take it seriously and it is hard work. And I put in long hours and I think about it and I worry about it. And it's very competitive. My agents in London and New York will often say it's a bit like being an actor. You're facing this constant rejection where you'll go up for a job and then you don't get it. And I think that is hard to keep going in that situation where you feel that you, know, you can have that moment where it's like, oh, it's all hopeless, you know. And then I think the other part of your question was a moment where I've learned. And it's funny because this came up the other day because I was mm -hmm. photographing Tilda Swinton the other day, who I love. I mean, apart from that, she's brilliant to photograph. She's, you know, she's just a lovely person. And uh, We were talking and for fun, I pulled, she, I've worked with her several times and she said, oh, I'm, you know, the last shoot, you know, I was wearing that amazing coat and I loved that picture and it was in a warehouse. I said, I never saw that picture. So I was like, oh, it's here on my laptop. You know, so she looked at it and that was nice because she said, oh, you know, it's great. And I remembered it really clearly, but I didn't see the end result. So I said, you know, I'll send you a print of it. And then for fun, I said, oh, and you, I want you to see this picture that I took of you when I was 22. That's 25 years ago. So a very early shoot for me for a little magazine in London when I must have just been out of college. And she doesn't look that different, actually. It was kind of amazing. A great picture, mostly thanks to her. And I said, oh, I always remember that shoot because I was nervous and I was young. And I remember she was wearing a sweater that I didn't like, looking through a red curtain, like a stage curtain. And this sweater, the pattern wasn't very nice and it was sort of spoiling the picture. And I was kind of humming and hawing and going, mm -mm. and she looked at me and she said, something's wrong. What's wrong? And I was like, oh, the sweater. And she said, well, do you want me to just take it off? So then she was naked, just covering her breasts with the curtain. And I said, I was too scared to ask you. And she looked at me and she laughed and she went, you should never be too scared to ask. What's the worst that can happen? I say no. And that's always stayed with me. And I reminded her of that story just three weeks ago when I was photographing her. That was a real moment where I was like, okay, it really is up to me to not be nervous or shy in these situations and take charge and ask. She can say, no, I'm not willing to do that. But, you know, you don't get anywhere if you're too scared to ask the question. Actually, that was one of the questions from the group. Kim Fisher asked, do you ever get nervous shooting such high profile names? No, three reasons. One, I'm used to it. Someone very famous walks in the room that happens to me now all the time now because of who I'm being asked to photograph. Fame doesn't really impress or intimidate me. 
anymore. But mm-hmm. the second part of my answer would be I'm not sure it ever did because just I don't think in and of itself it's something very interesting. I think it's something to play with. Third part, I would say, is my job not to. It's absolutely no good if I'm kind of quivering and going to pieces. You know, in a way, I'm trying to establish a relationship of equality between me and the person being photographed. So I'm not there to serve them and I'm not in awe of them. We are there as equals to do something together, which is not to say that I've got this sort of raging, unchecked ego. It's more we need to be equals to do this thing together. It can't be about me saying, oh, my God, I'm so intimidated by you. I'm just here to serve you. You won't get an interesting picture that way. And there's a pragmatic thing as well. If you're in a terrible state and flustered, you're not concentrating properly. I went when I went to photograph the royal family, I did the whole family together for Prince George's christening. And I remember the housekeeper saying to me that she'd had a situation where someone fainted because they were so nervous to meet them. Oh, my God. And I just burst out laughing and said, that's definitely not <laughs> going to be happening. Don't worry. It's confidence inspiring as well for the people that you are photographing. If you don't seem nervous, they're like, oh, he's relaxed. He's confident. He's got this. So I would think even if I was nervous, I would probably pretend not to be. <laughs> of course, the easiest way to pretend is to, is to actually not be nervous rather than being nervous and pretending you're not mm-hmm. nervous. I think people can see through that. I think if you've done your research and you've done your planning, there's nothing to be, you know, you always get that thing at the beginning of the shoot of like, oh, come on, you know, we've got to make it happen. We've got to come up with the goods. But, you know, we always do. So maybe I have more confidence in that, knowing yeah, I'm going to get a picture. How do you get chosen to shoot the royal family? <laughs> I don't really know is the honest answer. And I wouldn't probably start a shoot by going, so can I just ask, why did you choose me? Because again, as I sort of said before, that's not very confidence inspiring. If you're sounding a bit surprised to have got the job, I'd rather be like, okay, you know, it's nice that you know my work and considered me. <laughs> so I don't actually know is the honest answer. I know that they are quite a lot of people to come and see them and talk to them. And I had a very nice meeting with them and I was then very pleased to hear, yes, okay, we'd like you to do it. Have you ever been that confident in your work? Mostly I'm concentrating on the work in front of me rather than the work behind me. I try not to think too much about the work I've already done. Somebody said, I forget who, but someone said the best shoot is always the next one. And I think there's some truth in that. I'm excited about the projects that I've got in my head, the pictures that I haven't taken yet. The ones that were published last week, I'm like, great, it's out there. You know, it's nice when people, particularly now on things like Instagram and Twitter, will say, oh, I love that picture. It sort of it makes me smile, but I don't take it too seriously because the bit of my job that excites me the most is creating pictures. So that's mm-hmm. the bit I focus on. What am I doing next? What's the next shoot? You know, the job I'm doing next week. What, where are we at with that? I'm talking to the English National Ballet at the moment about a big shoot that I've got coming up for them in the next two weeks. We've got this great idea and I'm trying to work out. It's quite a difficult idea and I'm, it's really in my head at the moment. How are we going to do that? How are we going to make that work? So um, that's exciting me. In fact, even as we're speaking, there's an email just come in from the set designer <laughs> showing me how he thinks the background might work And I, because of a conversation we had yesterday. So that's sort of what I focus on more than, wasn't it marvelous what I did last month? I completely agree with you that the next photo shoot is even more exciting and it's going to be the best one so far. But tell me about the most challenging photo shoot that you had. Well, I mean, there's challenging in different ways. There's challenging sometimes because the subject is not into it or doesn't want to be there. And that's difficult. Or someone's having a bad day and they just don't want to be doing the shoot. So then, you know, that's when I have to try and be my most charming and work out how to make it okay for them. And then there's challenging in a more sort of practical, logistical way. 
I once photographed the Danish opera singer Johan Reuter, and I photographed him on an iceberg in Greenland. Oh. And, you know, that is very challenging because I'm on a boat and what they don't tell you about icebergs is that it's not just that they move, they rotate as well. So every time I'm setting up the shot, he's moving out of frame as the iceberg drifts and turns. So that's very difficult. They're, the water is minus 40 degrees and they say, if you fall in, if we don't get you out in a minute, you'll die. Oh, my. That's quite stressful. So I'd say that's pretty challenging in terms of sort of, you know, physically. And of course, freezing cold. So we're all wearing big like thermal suits but he can't because he's got to be wearing a fabulous outfit for the photo everything's moving and i'm setting up the shot and I, I can only photograph him for sort of two minutes at a time and then he has to go and get warm and come out again you know he mm -hmm. goes he's a lovely lovely man and he's standing there going okay i can't feel my feet now i'm thinking i'm putting this man in danger that's not good so okay go and come on get back in the boat warm up again so we gave him lots of tea and get him warm and go out that's a very challenging that's probably the most sort of challenging shoot done lots of shoots on like cliff tops or dangerous high places you know obviously we're not we can't put someone in danger so safety is very important on sets you've got to work out okay are we all wearing harnesses how do we do it those things become difficult because you're trying to make the pictures look effortless and it's hard to make them look effortless when there's a lot of effort required for sure Christina Mueller has a question for you from the group and it is how did you manage to start shooting so famous people well, I think it helped going to Oxford. That was one of the good things. Even though I had no photographic training at Oxford, the sort of people who would agree to be photographer are essentially a very small university newspaper and magazine. Some of them were quite well known because they'd gone to Oxford themselves. So they were agreeing to do it for their old university. Some of it started because I got to photograph some fairly well-known people when I was at university. So when I came back to London, I already had not super famous, but sort of maybe 10 sort of fairly well-known faces in my book. And it's, it's not that I think famous people are particularly different or a different breed, but I found that picture editors wanted to see that you had shot some famous people to our earlier conversation so that they knew you weren't going to freak out, that you could handle it, that you weren't incredibly intimidated by someone who was well-known. Such a shorter answer to the question is, it's a gradual thing. You would photograph some sort of slightly well-known people and there's some actors, some of whom then became very famous and it's sort of changing all the time. Some writers who maybe you'd heard of and then, you know, actors and then bigger and bigger and bigger and it, it just got bigger. And then the point at which I suppose you're being asked to photograph Angelina Jolie and the royal family, I guess it probably doesn't get much bigger than that. Then I think everybody is very clear. Yes, okay, he's quite comfortable around famous people. And the other thing as well, I would say, you are often asked to do the kind of work you already do. And that sounds really obvious, but the more you do a certain kind of work, the more you get asked to do it. At the point mm. at which I started photographing people who were well known, I would just get more and more asked, you know, and I, it was odd because it hadn't been my intention specifically. I don't really like being described as a celebrity photographer because really I'm a portrait photographer, but it's true that I do get asked to photograph lots of famous people. I mean, I like it more because I think it's a function of the culture that if you photograph someone very famous, they usually run it on the cover and eight pages inside. If you photograph someone very unknown, it'll be a half page at the back. <laughs> I think all of us photographers, we want to see our work being used nicely and big nice when your work is run full page over several pages rather than a half page at the back. Absolutely. I think there was a sort of cultural thing I noticed when this whole sort of celebrity thing really took off where it was like, well, if those are the people you need to be photographing if you want the stories to run bigger. 
so again, that's not necessarily my predilection. That's more a response to, well, this is where we're at in the culture. You mentioned your portfolio and on the internet, there is an interview with you and you're saying that what is important for a photographer is to have a portfolio that is saying just one thing and we should not be too chaotic in our portfolio. So I'm wondering, what does your portfolio says? I think there's two things at work. That's interesting because I was having this conversation with some people from the British Institute of Professional Photographers the other day, actually. It's something I say to students who come and see me, because I have a lot of students come and see me and their book is all over the place. You know, there'll be one fashion picture, one portrait, one still life, one shot from a gig they went to. And I'll say, look, these are all nice pictures, but you're not going to get commissioned because you're all over the place and I wouldn't know what to give you. Whereas if I have somebody bring me a portfolio with 20 amazing pictures of mushrooms in it, then next time I'm commissioning a picture of a mushroom, I know who to call. Now, I mean, obviously, I'm, it's a slightly silly example, but, but it's true. My point is, when you're starting out, if your book says one thing clearly, that's what you'll get asked to do. The odd thing is I think once you're established or as you get better known as a photographer, that is actually the point at which you're allowed to diversify. So for instance, a very well-known fashion photographer might then be asked to do a still life series. And you see it with some of the sort of bigger names in photography. They'll be deliberately commissioned out of their area of their known genre. But I think that's because by that point, they're so established, everyone's just decided that they're a great photographer. It would be interesting to see what they did in a social reportage setting rather than a fashion studio. Mm -hmm. But that comes very much after they've become well-known and been established. So I think there is a liberation in becoming established and better known in your field that that's when you're allowed to diversify. But I think it's the starting out point, most crucially, where I think your book needs to have a clear message and not be all over the place. When we're on the topic of portfolios and books, let's think about the next step. Let's talk a little bit about the pitching process. We can talk from the very beginning of the pitching process because actually there are many people that are very established listening to the show, for example, some previous mm -hmm. guests. And there are some very, very new photographers that have never had this experience. Yes, I do pitch ideas for two reasons. One, because that way I get to end up shooting the things I really want to shoot. And two, because it keeps things fresh with clients that I may have been working with a lot. You can get stuck in a rut quite easily where you've been working with a client for several years and there's a certain kind of thing they ask you to do and you keep doing it and there it is. And that's all very nice, but it can be repetitive. So if you then go, okay, I've got this great idea. It needs 20 pages. It's going to be like this. And hopefully they get excited about the idea. It's a win-win. You know, you're doing something for them that they might not have thought of you to do. And you're taking some pictures that you really want because you've had this lovely idea. And I mean, of course, the nice thing about having existing clients is you can get them to listen to your pitches much more easily. You know, you're not cold calling. You'll say, we have a relationship. Can I talk to you about this? The thing I did a while ago, which is funny, it's not particularly me in a funny sort of way, was I did a big Marvel portfolio for American Vanity Fair. I pitched the idea of doing a whole portfolio around the superhero universe to them quite a long time before. And then when this came up, I think they immediately felt, okay, he's the right guy for the job because we'd already talked about the idea. And I just noticed that superhero movies were really dominating the box office. And it would be interesting to do something around that. 
So it's kind of two way because I pitched the idea. They're going, you know, well, here comes the opportunity. Will you do it? And, you know, it changes slightly because the, what came up wasn't exactly the same thing that I pitched, but there was enough of an alignment that it made sense. And they all sort of immediately thought of me for that job. So I think it's important to do it. Also for your creative process to be thinking about what you want to photograph. I've got probably four big book ideas in my head at the moment that are at various stages of production, one of which I'll probably start shooting quite soon. And one is probably three, four years away. And the other two, I don't know yet. But it's nice to have them in my head thinking about, oh, what would I do? And would that be good for that? I think that's all just part of flexing your creative muscles, as it were. Oh, you should definitely let us know when the first one is out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking about pitching, I was wondering, have you ever had a moment or a situation when you were pitching to your client something and somebody else is ending up doing the shoot? No, but that is a fear, of course, that you send an idea and then you think, oh, well, what's to stop them? You know, you're not going to get into suing them and what's to stop them giving it to somebody else. I would say I have a good relationship with my clients and they haven't done that to me. Again, that Marvel portfolio for Vanity Fair, you know, I think that they could have given it to someone else. There are other photographers that work regularly. They have a chief photographer, you know, they could have given it to her. You want clients who you trust and have integrity. You go, look, that's his idea. He does it. And I think there's an element as well. Choose your clients. Maybe not every client is, is a great client or not every client does have integrity. But I seem to be lucky or have chosen wisely, shall we say, that the, the ones I work with, I would trust not to do that. I think it's difficult as well if you're sending pitch idea to a client that you have no relationship with since you're cold calling, then it's much more likely mm -hmm. that your idea might be pinched. If it's a client with an existing relationship, there's a mutual respect there. So it's less likely to happen, one would hope. And that's certainly, that certainly proved true for me. Yeah, I agree. You fortunately have a lot of behind the scenes on the internet from your photo shoots. I was admiring the fact that you're keeping it so casual with your models. Whether they're a celebrity or regular model from an agency. What I see from the behind the scenes is that you're giving more attention to your models instead of your equipment. And I think that's very, very interesting. So I wanted to talk to you about equipment a little bit and the importance of it for you. I try not to be too geeky about the cameras and the, I don't actually like cameras very much, which is sometimes surprises people for, as a thing for a photographer to say, because it, it's a tool to get the picture in my head onto the page or the screen increasingly these days. In a way, if I could just imagine the picture onto the page, that would be better for me, but you can't. So I have to use a camera and I have to use lights and there's a sort of process. But that whole process is a bit of an interruption between what's in my head and what I want. So I will just use whatever camera gets me there quickest or whatever one is best. And I find more and more now I tend to use assistants who I trust and who know the stuff and I just tell them what I want. And I worry less and less about how to actually get it because I don't think it's a particularly good use of my time to know the menu settings on the camera I'm working. I'd rather use an assistant who knows those menu settings brilliantly and I can just go, Look, I, what I want now is I want the flash to fire at the end of the open shutter, not the beginning. And they know how to access that. Mm -hmm. I know what cameras can do and how they do it, but I don't necessarily need to know how to set them to do that, if that makes sense. I think it's important that I know enough to know 
look, the picture's going to look different if you're using a one second exposure and the flash is going at the end or the beginning. That is a creative decision about what's happening in that picture. But I don't think it's important for me to know that submenu B, category A, and you flick that switch. You know, someone can do that for me. What's important for me is how it looks at the end. And I, likewise, I think in the shoot on the setting, the most important relationship that's occurring is between me and the person being photographed. That's how you get the magic. There is a lot going on behind the scenes with my assistants. But, you know, we're setting a lot of stuff up beforehand. And I've said I'm going to want the light like this. I have good assistants who I trust and work with a lot. And I can just look at them and go, I want it more like that, move it round. But that can be a very quick sort of a side conversation of like, mm, light's too hard. I, I want it softer than that, or I want it harder than that. But I'm trying not to let that distract too much from the person in front of me and how they're feeling and how they're looking. That's the performance that you're evoking from them that you can't replicate. The other thing that I think is interesting to point out is these are people that I often don't know. And I'm, I've maybe got a couple of hours with, again, I can't remember who said it, but someone said the photographer wants the subject to fall a little bit in love with them to get a really good picture. And I think that's true. It's a bit of an express intimacy. My assistants, I know them, probably been for a drink with most of them and you know, I've worked with them a lot. And so we have a shorthand. I don't have that shorthand with the person I'm photographing and I want them to give themselves to me and the camera as quickly as possible. And that is a rushed intimacy that there's a certain way of getting them to do that, yeah, which is a, you know, perhaps a bit manipulative. But I hope it's not an unpleasant manipulation for them. I hope they are just able to feel comfortable with me and the camera very quickly. You have to earn it. You definitely have to make that happen. There's very few people, you know, some of the really big models or the very good models, can give you that immediately. But I don't actually photograph fashion models that much. I'm a fashion photographer in the sense that I photograph actors and actresses often wearing fashion in sort of fashion stories, but they are known people. They're not necessarily professional models. They're usually people mm -hmm. who do something else but are wearing fashion. That tends to be the kind of fashion I'm shooting. You've got to get them to relax and trust you. I want it to be fun as well, I think. You know, I don't like shoots that are miserable, and I'm not sure you get the best. It's funny because, of course, I don't go on other shoots. The shoot is either mine or if it's another photographer, so it wouldn't be there. So it's interesting to me always that the people I work with, the models, the subject, the assistants, the hair, the makeup, they all work with loads and loads of photographers. They know what other shoots are like. I really only know what my shoots are like, but I like my shoots to be fun. And I hear that there are lots of shoots where it's all very stressful and everyone's tense or a bit scared and stuff. And selfishly, that's just not an environment I want to be in. And I don't think you get the best out of people, the subject, by intimidating them. I think you get more by encouraging them to give of themselves to you. Do you want to tell us about the first funny photo shoot that you have in your mind? I remember photographing Ellen Barkin once. She was very funny and fresh. And we sort of, we got a funny joke going between us of me being a bit rude in a sort of tongue in cheek way and her being a bit cheeky back. And at one point we were talking about the Antonioni film blow up. I was like, go on, lie on the floor. And I'm standing on top of her photographing. And I said to her <laughs> at one point, that's going to look great when I've retouched the hell out of it. And she was like, you bit. <laughs> That was very funny. And I would never do that with a whole bunch of other people. It's about reading the moment. She was in the mood and wanted to have fun and was cheeky with me. And she was being rude to me and I was being rude to her. And it was, it was playful, very playful. And pictures are very undone and she's got no shoes on and she's lying on the ground. And 
a different thing happens and you, you, know, you can work with that. I know that's not something you can plan beforehand because you have no idea if that's going to happen with that person. What's the recipe for a good photo, in your opinion? I mean, so many different ways I think a photo can be good. You know, it can perfectly capture a point in the culture or a point in history. It can be politically powerful. For my own definition of the kind of pictures I'm taking, when I judge the success of my own pictures, I would say it's something that is great to look at and then goes further. So I'm not interested particularly in the white background magazine covers of an actress just sort of looking pretty with a wind machine and they're like, oh, doesn't she look great? And isn't the makeup great? And there's nothing else going on. They're pretty, but they don't really excite me. So I'm more interested in the pictures where it looks great. And then if you want to go a bit deeper or think a bit further, there's more going on. There's a bit more to it than that. It's saying something. It's sly or it's funny or it's incisive or it, there's a depth. So for me, when I'm editing or trying to take pictures that I judge best are the ones beautiful to look at and they function on a deeper level as well. I was wondering if you were starting today with your photography career, what will be your plan? That's a good question and a difficult question to answer, or maybe a question I, I can't answer because I think a career is a very long time span, one would hope. So much changes over that time span. Like I don't think any of us could or did predict Instagram, for instance, which is part of our work now. The decline of magazines seems to me pretty inevitable now. And I definitely started out as a magazine photographer. That was what I wanted to do was to shoot for magazines. And I, I wouldn't do that now. So I sort of feel like in a way you have to just sort of work out what are the pictures you want to take and then who will commission you to take them or who will run them when you've taken them. And I think if I was starting out now, I'd have to look around and go, well, what's the work that interests me to look at? Okay, how do I go and do that work? And, that, you know, I'm sure it will change again in the next 10 years of my career. And I'm sure there's things coming that I am not predicting correctly right now. I mean, I do think there was a sort of crisis moment, if you like, as we all sort of started to realize magazines were not the cultural definers that they had been and that there were other ways that pictures were viewed and commissioned and used. And I worried about that for a while. And now I just feel like there's nothing really to worry about there because there's always going to be a demand for people with a point of view. And I certainly have a point of view. And I'm saying that with a wink. But I think people will still want to go to someone and go, what is your vision here? What, how do you see it? How do you, you know, to my point earlier about being captain of the ship, there's still, whether it's for a magazine or a film poster, or they want that point of view. So I think hopefully always be in demand of someone willing to say, this is how I think it should be. I love this advice. Do you have any other advices for the people listening to the podcast? For people starting out who are interested in photography, there's absolutely no substitute for just taking lots of pictures. The only way you really <laughs> learn is you take pictures and you work out what works and what doesn't work. Keep taking pictures, print your own pictures, manipulate your own pictures. That's probably the most important thing, thinking about pictures and making them. For people further on, I don't know, maybe they're further on and they don't need advice. <laughs> but I guess it's a bit of a slushy thing to say, but you follow your heart. I was always a bit surprised when I started out with some photographers I'd meet who'd say, so, you know, you do this and then you do this and then you make lots of money doing that. Go and photograph cars because that's really well paid. It was kind of shocking to me when I started like, oh, wait, you're, you're just doing this for the money. For me, it was always like, I mean, it's a bit of an extreme thing to say, but, you know, I can't not take pictures. It was always about I just have to take pictures. So 
taking the pictures I loved and you know making things I like making things I like creating something and I think if your heart is in it like that you're halfway there hopefully it's a podcast and you cannot see me guys but I have a huge smile on my face ah. <laughs> thank you Jason so much for this interview it was super amazing thank you thank you very much thank you for some great questions oh trust me I'm going to remember this interview for the rest of my life just like every other interview we've had here. And you can check them all out on photographypodcast.net. Also, don't forget to follow Jason on social media. You can find his contact in the show notes. I hope you've learned a lot from today's episode. And if you feel super inspired and like you need even more information, well, then come back again on Friday because this week we are having our Friday episode. You know, each and every Wednesday, interview with another fellow from the fashion photography industry. And then every other Friday, I'm answering your questions and giving you some tips and tricks. So if you have a question, go to photographypodcast.net and find our Facebook group there or go straight to Facebook and type down the Fashion Photography Podcast. Join our society and become part of our big family ready to support each other. I cannot wait to see you there and thank you again so much for listening to us today. I'll see you again here this Friday.